One Hope Church. Most of you already know what I would say about yesterday, if I was going to say anything about yesterday. If you've been around. So, anyway, I would say again, if you're, ha- <laughs> if you're happiness. If you, so you're like, what would you say? And I'm like, well, if your happiness depends on what some um, young men do with a pigskin, um, you will inevitably at some point in your life shed tears. So that is, <laughs> that is reality. Um, but our hope this morning is in Jesus Christ who came to die for us to pay the price and the debt that we could not pay so that we can be in an eternal relationship with God forever and ever and ever for infinity an eternal state that is what God has done for us That is what God has done for us. And so, therefore, the scripture tells us that no matter what you go through in life, to give thanks in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. Because, huge big picture, huge big picture, God has won the victory... And that you are, if you are in Jesus, you are already victorious in Jesus. The war has been won. And so therefore, we will not overreact to losing individual battles. We will not overreact to the significant, painful, devastating losses that we experience in life, and if you live long enough, inevitably those will come. And I'm not talking about a silly football game. I'm talking about when one of your loved ones gets cancer. I'm I'm talking about famine and murder and war. I mean, like real things that people go through in life. But even the worst of it, we will not allow to distort our overarching picture that God is victorious and that those who are in Jesus are victorious with Him. We won't allow it. When the lies of the enemy come in to us and tell us that all is lost and that all is hopeless and all is worthless, we will say, get behind me, Satan. And we will live in the truth of God. And his word and give thanks that at the cross, Jesus Christ won the victory for us and it was proven in the resurrection of Jesus. But first, he had to come to this earth. Born of a virgin. To grow up and live among us. And that, you know, this time of year. The world, you know, puts up its Christmas trees and gives, exchange gifts, which we've kind of gotten out of control a little bit with that. And so we can be more focused on the materialistic aspect of the season than on the true purpose of the season, which is to remember God put on human flesh. To come 
and live among us for the purpose of dying for us. Kind of appropriate little kids are singing away in a manger right now. <laughs> Works pretty perfect. It, but just, I, I want us to consider there's other people in the story. And we, looked at, we started looking at two of them last week. The parents of John the Baptist, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And we're going to continue to look at the, uh, their story um, and their words this morning to encourage us and point us toward Jesus. Because again, remember, why are we here this morning? We are here to meet with Jesus together as a church family, to meet with Jesus and to take the bread and to take the cup, to remember what he's done for us, to celebrate him and his, his eternal life and his eternal love for us and his sacrifice for us. And so we give thanks to our great God, our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would encourage us this morning, that as we look into your word, Lord, you would teach us by it, that we wouldn't walk out of here just the same as when we walked in, but that we would be closer to you and we would be maturing and becoming more like your son, Jesus, who gave everything for us. Jesus, we're here for you this morning. We, we thank you. I pray if that's not our motivation to be here this morning, Lord, you change our motivation that we, we just want to be with you, be in your presence, to, to sing songs of praise to you, to look into your word and to learn humbly at your feet, dear Jesus. This morning we come to you and we say we are small and you are great. In the words of John the Baptist, Jesus, you must increase and we must decrease. You are great, dear Jesus. We come to you and honor you and thank you for your love for us in your name, Jesus. Amen. So again, just as a reminder of a couple things from last week that are crucially important to set the, the context for this week, Zacharias and Elizabeth are born and live in a time that is religiously corrupt. The, the way of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the, the, the temple um, was corrupt. Most of the religious leaders were known for their hypocrisy as was highlighted by Jesus. Remember, he says things to them like, you brood of vipers. <laughs> you snakes. Because of how they taught one thing, but then did another, and how they burdened the people with unnecessary laws and regulations, of how they were greedy for money and power. Yet Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth were righteous before God. And Zacharias serves in the temple. He's of the tribe of, of Levi and, and serves in the temple. And his lot is drawn to go burn incense in the temple. It was, was his turn to do so. And when he goes in, the people were kind of like, wow, what's taking so long? Because, you know, with anything in life, there's set expectations, right? Like, how long does it, if, if you're, 
you know, married and one of you goes to the store, you usually know how long the person's going to be gone unless something happens. And if it goes much past that time, you start to get a little bit, you know, worried about that. You know what time the other person should be home from, from work or, you know, the, or from school or whatever it is. And, and for this, you know, it's like the people kind of know what well, takes this long to go in and to, to perform this ceremony and then to come back out. Hmm, Zacharias is in there for a while. Well, what happened when he was in there is that an angel came to him um, and said, there's a message, you know, this, this message from God is that he and that Zechariah and his wife would have a child, even though they're, they're older. It, it harkens back, or it looks back to Abraham um, and Sarah and their old age. And Elizabeth was barren. And this is the message that's given. There's basically you know, just 11 things, and you can read this in Luke chapter 1. But you're going to have a child, well actually 12, you're going to have a child. You're going to call his name John. You will have joy and gladness. <laughs> it's like, you're going to be happy. <laughs> I, like, I like that. You're going to have joy. Um, many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will not drink wine or strong drink. Think back to the Nazarenes in the Old Testament, kind of set apart for a purpose. Not that it was wrong for them to have a drink of wine, but that for him it would be because God told him not to. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That he will go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Number 10. We stopped on that one for a while because how our world needs, even today, for the hearts of fathers to be turned to their children. When we see the brokenness in our world, and so much of it can be traced back to a lack of fathers who love and sacrifice for their children. And there are people here in this message, or who will hear this message, who have suffered because either their father was absent, or mostly absent, or not a very good father. Or a harmful father. There are men and women in this room who suffer because of that. Who have suffered. And certainly more who hear the message in another format. Suffering. We need hearts of fathers to be turned to the children. We need that for the good of the church. We need that for the good of society. You know, it's God's, it's God's way. And yet, we are such a confused world that we say, you know, you know it's, it's really interesting. I mean, even our own government, they, our own government, you know, they, they have this like fatherhood um, initiative that talks about all the negative effects of a lack of fathers and that we need fathers. And then at the same time, you know, for decades, we have policies that um, discourage fatherhood especially among the poor. Well, you're, you're not going to get help if there's a father there at all. So, you know, we, so, you know, we, we talk as a culture, as a society, we talk out of both ends of our mouth. But as, you know, that's the culture that we're in, the government that we're in. But as the church, 
our responsibility is to pe- preach strongly. I mean, with compassion, knowing all the pain and hurts and problems, but to preach strongly that God has a way that's best for us. And you know, the reality of it is, none of us can go back and change the past. You know, it's, a, it's, it's sad but true. You know, if you, if you didn't have a good father, you can't go back and put one there. But what can we do today? What can we do today moving forward? That we have say over. So, so what do we do? Well, men, your father, be a good father. If you're, if you're not a father, be the type of man who would be a good father. Strive for that. Strive for that. Ladies, pray for your husbands that they would be good fathers or that they would be the type of men who would be. If that was ever the case. Young ladies, not married. You're looking at a guy. One of the questions you really need to ask is, would would he be a good father to a newborn? In so many years, would he be a good father to a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old? If you can't envision you're that, you're like, no, nah, actually, he's probably just going to be sitting on the couch playing Xbox. You know, that's probably how he's going to raise children. I'm going to have to do it all. You know, if you have that realization, I'm going to have to do everything because he's going to be sitting there just playing video games his entire life. Like, he's going to Fortnite himself to death. <laughs> like, if that is... If that is what you think, don't walk away. Run. <laughs> Run. Yeah, and the reality is, and he, is he going to play the yell, oh, baby, I love you. Mm. Now, maybe that's more like, oh, baby, I want to have sex with you. I, I just said it. Maybe that's the reality. But that's not necessarily love. Like, just a physical attraction to I want to be with you is not love. That's not adequate. Now, it's, it's I mean, if you're married, like that's, that's helpful to be there. Okay, now, don't hear me wrong on that. That's helpful to be there. Like, that's a, that's a really important part of, of married life. But, if you're going, that's about all he's got to offer me. What? Don't walk. Run. Block him on social media. Block his number. Get a new phone. Whatever you have to move. Whatever you have to do. <laughs> like, I mean, get a, go into witness protection program. I don't care. Like, get away from that dude. Because our society actually can't stand too, more, too many more dudes like that eventually we're just going to collapse. We'll just collapse. And so, again, we can't go back and change the past, but we have decisions to make about today and about the future and about what sort of of men and women we're going to be and, and what sort of families we're going to have. 
and, and what we're going to care about, prioritize, and sacrifice for. Ten, or sorry, eleven. He will turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. So one of the things about John the Baptist that he did that's a little bit interesting is, man, he spoke truth and and he kind of didn't care whether the you know the people he was speaking to were were powerless or powerful. He spoke the truth. He did so in love because. You know, he wasn't just trying to condemn people. He wanted people to turn to God and to have their lives changed. But, you know, he, he spoke truth to power. And, and he wasn't afraid to do so. And eventually, that cost him his, his literal head was chopped off and put on a plate. But he wasn't fearful because, again, he had the eternal perspective. He knew his... Days on, on this earth might be shortened, but nothing could shorten his eternity with God. So he had a perspective, and he had a walk with the Lord that could encompass and, and handle that. I'm afraid, you know, most believers couldn't handle that today. Because the walk with the Lord isn't, isn't close enough. You know, I want to mention the the young man, and and I know people will say about his, you know, question about his um, discretion or whatever that the young man that was martyred um, on one of the islands in North North India, trying to reach an unreached, you know, people group, and people will think about it foolish that like he was foolish, and I kind of want I, I kind of think about that a little bit and go well. You know, he was a young man. But he didn't just one day decide, I'm going to go roll up on that island and see what happens. He knew about that people group from when he was a a high school student. And he learned their language. So that he could speak with them. And he could sing songs in their language. And he could speak about Jesus he did a lot of work to prepare to go and he was he knew the risk and he was willing to die and some people say well maybe it was it was foolish i would disagree with that because what we call jim elliot and nate saint and the others with them that died in ecuador Many years ago, will we call them foolish? Would some of the men who, who killed them, who are now followers of Jesus, call them foolish? Would their children and grandchildren who know the Lord call them foolish? See, historically, and this is difficult for us, but historically, the church has grown through the seed that has been watered with blood. But you know, we live in a day and age where to say, man, that's a, you know, who are you to say that somebody's way of life is, is disobedient or, you know, not right? Well, I'm nobody to say that. 
You're nobody to say that. But God says it. So it doesn't really matter what I say or you say or our opinions. You know, we're all about opinion. Yeah, I mean, let's save our opinions for, for football and stuff like that. Georgia's still one of the best four teams in the nation. It's my opinion. Amen. All right? That's my opinion. But I can have an opinion about that because that's something subjective that we can just argue about. You know what we can't have opinions about? Sin. I mean, what God says is a sin is a sin. What we can't have opinions about? Way of salvation. You know who doesn't get to decide what the way of salvation is? Humans. You know, we didn't make ourselves. God did. He created our universe and our world, and he set up the system. And no, like it or not, it's the system God set up. So whether you and I like it or not, kind of irrelevant to the reality. You know, denial is not just a river in Egypt. It's something we as humans have become pretty good at. Yeah, I mean, and it's really, it's like this. It's like, if you have a fatal disease, you go, you know what? I don't like fatal diseases. I, I, don't, I don't like having a fatal disease. You can't like your way out of not having a fatal disease. Well, as far as sin goes, that is the ultimate fatal disease. We have sin that separates you from a, from a holy God for eternity. That is a fatal disease. So now, dealing with that disease, you know what? Some people want to deal with denial and go, you know what? My disease is not that bad. I mean, look at those folks over there. Their, their disease is a lot worse. Mm, okay, yeah. They, uh, they have more obvious outward signs of their disease. You know what that disease is going to do to both of you? Kill you. In the sense of make you dead, as in make you separated from God. I mean, it's like if you've got a little bit of that fatal disease or a whole lot of that fatal disease, the results on that in terms of the death part are the same. Now, the results are different as the scripture teaches us in, you know, those, what does Jesus say? He who knows his, his you know, his king's will and doesn't do it will be beaten with many stripes versus the one who didn't know would be beaten with few. Like, there's a, what Jesus is teaching there is it's not, judgment is not all the same. Judgment is judgment and judgment is separation, but it's not all the same. And I don't know exactly how that, you know, plays out. I know we can't violate the scripture on it, what the scripture says about it. Because I, 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 I don't want us to, to have this idea, well, you know, if a person's not a believer, then it just doesn't matter at all how they live. I mean, just, you know, more and more sin is fine. No, that's not true. But at the same time, man, why would anybody want to sit around with just a fatal disease that's curable? Because it's, it, you know, fatal in this case does not mean it's incurable. It is curable. Jesus already accomplished it at the cross. But woe to us if we don't share with people what the cure is. 
Babylon B kind of had a little, you know, it's a sarcastic, you know, sight. But on the, you know, the young man who was recently martyred, it had another young man's strategy of never being martyred was to never tell anybody about Jesus. You know, pretty effective. You know, if you want to have, if you want to have no fear of any confrontation for your faith, or the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you want to eliminate the possibility of anything bad happening to you because of Jesus, it's like, don't tell anybody about him. Make no sacrifices. Well, that sounds awful. Now tell me who's foolish. The, the young man who dies for his faith in an attempt to share with people who've never heard or... or the, the young men and, and women and older men and women who claim to follow Jesus who never tell anybody. I mean, we want to talk about foolish. Let's, let, I mean, don't be on that dude. Don't hammer him. Hammer me for not sharing the gospel enough. Don't hammer the guy who's willing to die for it. Man, going to sit there and say, we know better what that dude should have done. I mean, that's, that's, that's arrogant. <clears throat> and he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord Jesus. Man, what a mission he was given in life. What's our mission? Jesus gave it to us. Go into all the world and make disciples. All the people groups. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Like, I mean, here's the thing for us. You know, John the Baptist, now, his life was very specific, given what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. What the results were going to be, like, it doesn't get much clear for like God's will for somebody's life. I mean, in the specifics, but in the general, do we have a different mission than John the Baptist? No, our hearts are to prepare the way for the Lord. I mean, our purpose is to prepare the way for the Lord, to point others to Jesus, to share the gospel, to make disciples, and that's true no matter your occupation. That's true no matter your status in life. If you are poor or middle class or rich, that is your purpose. Name any profession in the world that is honoring to God, that doesn't violate His commands, and that is the purpose. It's an avenue for this. Whatever you do in life is is to be an avenue for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever you spend most of your waking hours doing is work, right? You spend so many of our waking hours working. Well, that work needs to open doors. You need to be using it for the purpose to open doors to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's our ultimate purpose and mission. It's not flipped. It's like God didn't save you so you can be a doctor. You see what I'm saying? 
you know, our, our friend Jose in Mexico got yesterday, he got married. It's just an amazing story because, I mean, a few years ago, this dude's life was in, in shambles without the Lord. And, and now he's, he's finishing. And, and talk about coming from, he has the roughest upbringing of anybody I've ever personally met. And now he's, he's finishing preparations to be, a, to be a dentist. But you know what? The Lord didn't save him to be a dentist. The Lord saved him to make him a child of God who would then make disciples. And he's going to do that as a dentist. We get the difference there in the order of things. Because we want to identify ourselves. Because people ask us all the time, like, you know, we're trying to figure out who somebody is. You know, so, so what do you do? And they're going to put you in a box and try to define you based on what you do, right? This is who you are. Well, you're a police officer, or you're in medical field, or you're this or you're that. That's not who you are. You are, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. You are a servant of the one true king. You are a disciple maker. You are on mission with Jesus. Like, that's who you are. And these other things are what you do. And, and your responsibility is to have alignment in those things. That those things would align. That they're not disconnected. So you're like, oh, well, this is where I'm this professional, or this whatever, or this student. I'm a student. And then over here, this is where I do like my Jesus stuff. That's not how that's supposed to work. These things are supposed to be integrated so that you can, I mean, you can't remove, you can't take the follower of Jesus out of you while you do your work. That doesn't, that doesn't work well. Now, it's amazing. All this is told since Zacharias. And remember, he's righteous. He's faithful. And he knows the scriptures. He knows what, you know, the story of Abraham and Sarah by the back of his, you know, the back of his hand. Like, like if you told him what happened, he could pr- practically quote it to you. This is how the people knew the scriptures then. Because they read them and heard them and spoke them so much that Abraham, the story of Abraham and Sarah, like Zacharias could have told you every minute detail. But when it came to his own life, he's like, mm, I don't believe that. You know, how can that be? You know, we're both old. How could that happen? And so, um, the angel tells him, well, because you didn't, you know, <laughs> believe what I just told you, like, fully believe what I just told you, you're not going to be able to speak until he's born, like, you're not going to be able to speak. So, Zacharias comes out of the temple, can't talk. He can't talk. So then, 
In the next scene, verses 26 through 38, an angel announces to Mary God's plan for her life in the specifics. Not in the general, because we know the general, but in the specific. And then verse 39, we see that Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And it says, Mary rose in these days and went to the hill country with haste, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias, and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So again, Mary is the one visiting Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, in her, and in her understanding, like she understands this so well that the prophecies of God are being fulfilled in them, which is mind-blowing, that she knows that the baby that Mary is carrying is her Lord. Equivalent to her king. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Elizabeth already knows that the angel spoke to Mary just like the angel spoke to her husband. She's aware. And then Mary's response, beginning in verse 46, and we won't linger here too long, because our forgotten heroes are in this lesson are Zacharias and Elizabeth. We need not to forget Mary as well. Um, you know, some people make the mistake of making Mary basically a god. And then, on the other side, people make a mistake by, because of that mistake, make a different mistake, which is to ignore her. But verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Again, make no mistake. Mary, though righteous as Elizabeth and Zacharias, was also a sinner who needed to be saved by grace, who needed a Savior. She says, Rejoice in God my Savior. And you need to understand, this is just a little bit of theological like training, very short this morning. When many people in our world talk about the Immaculate Conception, they are not talking about the conception of Jesus. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, no man involved in that <coughs> conception. They are talking about the conception of Mary. That's what they refer to as the Immaculate Conception. The, the conception of Mary that she was born without sin. So that therefore Jesus could be born without sin. But that's not how that works the, in God's economy and theologically. Okay? So she needed a Savior. And this is evidence. These verses are evidence. Like, do you believe the scriptures? Scriptures say Mary needed a Savior, that she acknowledged that God was her Savior. 
For he has regarded the lowly state of his maid servant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. And again, we need to respect and call her blessed because certainly she was and is. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength in his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Man, those, I really think that those who um, believe there is no God have great imaginations. You know, we, we used to think that there, you know, people were like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's really, you know, all you need is time and chance because, you know, if you have billions of years and you only need a few elements and, now, we're not going to talk about how those elements came into being, but we only need a few elements, and then life can spring from that. And then as we learn more in science, we learn, wait, actually, there's, there's dozens of things that, that are needed in order for life um, you know, to exist. And, and then the condition, and, and that's just on the one hand, and then on the other side of it, the conditions that you need in terms of like space from a distance from a, a, a place of heat, the sun, you know, and, and how that needs to be pretty perfect. And, and there's just so many different variables. And the imagination has to be great to say, man, just time and, and random chance. And, and, and I really think math scoffs at it. Math scoffs at the incredible, minuscule possibility of all of this being here without a God. We know from Proverbs that wisdom scoffs at such a thought. I believe math is right there, laughing along the way at the ridiculousness of it the imaginations of people's hearts, to think that we have all that we are with no God. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So much there to unpack. So good. And in verse 57, we see that Elizabeth's full time for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown her great mercy, they rejoiced with her. And in 59, so it, it was on the eighth day, Luke chapter 1, verse 59, so it was on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. Now, again, this is a little cultural insight, a little picture into what life was like in, in this community at this time. Because... The name is important. 
and that it's a name of someone in their family is important because there's an identification, you know, there. I mean, they, they had very strong, very strong family ties. You know, most of us today, you know, we can name back, you know, our family tree if, without looking something up. How many generations? Not that many, right? And with the family tree, unless you've used and delved into one of these you know, websites and really done some work on it, and probably some of you have, and you can go back a lot further than that. But you know, people in this time, they can trace their line all the way back to Abraham and really all the way back to Adam. I mean, like... They, I mean, to read the genealogies in, in Matthew and, and in Luke, I mean, you, all the way back down. Like, that was important to them. And it's important for some of the prophecies that were given to be fulfilled. And so, it mattered what his name was going to be. Verse 63, and he, that's Zacharias, asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, his name is John. Now, why did he name him John? Because that's what the angel told him the name was going to be. And he's like, I can't talk, but I can write it down. His name is John, so they all mattered. And immediately, notice this, he was obedient. Everything's been fulfilled because, you know, it, it wasn't that he could talk right when the baby was born. It's at this moment of the circumcision in front of everybody and then he's obedient and his tongue is loosed. He is able to speak. And he spoke praising God. Now I think verses 65 and 66 kind of tell us what happens after the prophecy that we read in 67 through 80. Because he spoke praising God and we're going to see what he said. But it says, Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. But verse 67, this is what he was saying. His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So he starts with, here's, what's God, here's what God has done. And he's like, now in response to what God has done, and you know, this is what God has done, this is what he is doing. And our response needs to be, man, we are going to get to serve God without fear, and we need to do so in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And folks, this isn't a sprint. This isn't a sprint. It's a long-term deal. As many days as God gives us, our purpose is to live them for the Lord, 
to live them in holiness and righteousness. And then he speaks to his son, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day he was made known to Israel. So again, we have the beginning, what God has done for them, what the general response of the people should be, what John the Baptist was to do. Basically, we've got four things here. And they're connected. You know, you're going to be a prophet. You're going to speak the things of God to the people. You know, being, being in that role, again, his, his role was not to tell people what they wanted to hear. His role was to tell people what they needed to hear. And the people were then responsible how they responded to it. As followers of Jesus, we need to tell people what they need to hear, that they need the Lord. They're responsible for how they respond to it. And sometimes, you know, you know we live in a, quote-unquote, pretty safe place, and that it would be highly unusual for you to share your faith with somebody and then to take out some sort of weapon and try to kill you. But there are many other places in this world where, I mean, you really don't know. I mean... Here, the response is either going to be Professor tells you, oh, you're doing just fine in this class. No one, you ain't going to pass. Like, come on. You want honest evaluation. So you can adjust. Make a change. And so I think with that, when the church as a whole, like, we're going to look at resources and priorities and things like that. Church as a whole, we got to look and go, man, there's a lot of waste. There's a lot of waste and a lot of lack of emphasis on what really counts. But let's not, you know, because what's easy Man, churches over there, tell you what, wasting all their resources. And what are questions for us? What more can we give? That's a question for us. What more can we give? Here's another question for us, individually. How many people, you know, we're coming almost to the end of 2018. How many people I sit down and share the gospel with? like that I actually shared the message of Jesus with in the last year. Folks, if that number is zero, we don't need to beat anybody up. But if that number is zero, then what are we going to do to change it so that next year that number is not zero? If that, you know, if that number is zero... How do we get that number to be a positive number? I don't know about in our church that's a negative number. You know, some churches have negative numbers on people because they're like actively keeping people away from Jesus by how they live. Okay? 
Like, so that's a positive right there. You, you know, just if you're not a negative, if you're not keeping people from Jesus, like it, we, we take some solace in that, right? But we, we okay. But if you had a zero, how how do we get that number to be a positive number? If your number is a low positive number, how how do we, you know, if it's in the single digits, how do we get that into the the teens? You know, if it's in the teens, how do we get it in the 20s and 30s? You know, how do we get it to two or three a month? You see, because those numbers might sound, why are you going to share Jesus with, with 24 people next year? It's two people a month. It's two people a month. You know, you can walk into a, a gas station and, you know, if you're in there in a quiet time and nobody's there and the person is sitting there and bored out of their mind... And you say, hey, what's your name? Hey. Anything going on? You know, I, I like to pray for people. Anything going on in your life I can pray for? Because I have this, this king who, like, runs the universe. <laughs> if you're like, well, I think you're crazy? Man, let them think you're crazy. Man, I'd rather they think you just straight crazy than for them to not think anything about you. I would like to think think that you are straight lost your noggin (laughs) about the things of God than for them not to think anything when you walk out the store. Let them think we're crazy. That seed will get planted. That seed will get planted. Man, I I would love for more people in our community. The man, okay, we we might even know where that church is. That's kind of a problem. We got to figure that out. But we don't even know where that church is. Or, but man, I met somebody from the, those people are straight crazy. Like, they're crazy in love with God. Like I know you can take you can take that the wrong way. Like you can take that way too far. Okay, like we're not talking mental illness here. We're, but I, I want them to be like shocked. I mean, don't you want people to be like, whoa, that made me think. I hadn't thought like that before. Hadn't encountered somebody who, what? Man, leave them with something to read. Leave them with something to ponder. And that's just for strangers. But man, people you sit around every day at work. Man, I'm telling you, listen, just, I'm going to do this real fast because, whoa, okay, I'm Tom. But look, a consistent walk, if you have a consistent walk with Jesus, you know, it doesn't work if you're like Jesus one day and cussing somebody out the next day. Like, that doesn't fly. It doesn't work. You have to have a consistent walk. You have to have an obvious different purpose in why you're living life and how you're living it. You need to have a Jesus-centered attitude. And so when the bad things happen, you're able, you handle that in a different way than the world does. You know, if you have a terrible day at work, and everybody else, like, F-bombs are flying, and you're not, that makes a difference. That makes a real difference when you have a different perspective. And some are like, man, where, 
where, where are people working that F-bombs are flying all the time? <laughs> and multiple people in the room are like, eh, come to my office. Okay? Yeah. But to have a Jesus-centered attitude and to strive to be an ambassador for, for Jesus, you know, and just, and what that means is representing him and, and, and caring about people. Caring about people. But listen, when that opportunity is, because if you do those things, man, those doors are going to open. And when they do, we've got to have the boldness to walk in. You know, it's, it's one thing to stand there and, and knock on the door. You know, that's to creating the opportunity, right? When that door opens, to have the courage to go, hey, let's talk about the bigger things. Well-timed reverb <laughs> on that. Man, I'm just telling you, last thoughts real quick. The child grew and became strong in, in, in spirit. So our purpose is to know and love God and to, to honor him with our lives. The purpose of our children is no less. You know, parents or future parents or whatever are just helping with people's kids. That... They have to understand, we have to understand, like our children are important, but they are not the ultimate. Jesus is the ultimate. Jesus is to be their purpose. Jesus is the ultimate. So the, the, imagine this, just have to keep this in mind, the best life that our children can live is to know Jesus and to live for him. Like, that's their best life. Now, here's the thing. Academically, we want to make sure our kids are in an environment where they can grow and learn and succeed. We want that, right? If you like sports at all, like athletically, give your kids opportunities to grow, learn, succeed. Music, art, whatever it is, if you... you, you, you have a vision for them, and you see some potential, what do you do? You give them opportunities where they can grow and learn and succeed. How much more? We have a spiritual vision. We have a spiritual vision for our children. Would we want to do the work so that they will grow and learn and succeed? And what is success in that environment? Obedience to Jesus, regardless of what he asks. Like, we have to be clear on what our purpose is. Like, you have to have a clear vision. You know, John Reeves, a mentor of mine, shared with me a long time. You know, we're talking about family and, and raising kids. And, and he, he put it in a way that I think is really helpful for, for, was helpful for me and for all of us. It's like, you need to like, have a picture frame around what it looks like, you know, for your your kids to grow up in a way that they love Jesus you know, and they're, they're living for him like you've got that as your picture like, you're, like this is the future goal it's a snapshot of the future and then you work your tail off for that because that doesn't just happen you work your tail off for that you sacrifice for that. You lose sleep for that. Like, you work really hard for that. 
So let's keep that in our minds and in our hearts. I'm just, you know, so many times it's like, man, we have really nice, you know, they can be kind and they can be, well, sometimes not, but they can be kind and nice and smart and athletic because we put all the work there. But then they wander from the Lord because the work wasn't put in there. And it's not a formula where you, you know, X, A plus B equals C. But, man, if the parents are consistently loving Jesus and are consistent in their walk with the Lord and are consistent in their fellowship in the church, it's the hypocrisy that drives kids away. And what drives kids away? When, they, when they, they're in church you know, meetings at least some of the time, but then at home there's a disconnect. At home, it's obvious mom and dad don't care very much about Jesus. They care about him on Sundays. Then that's a, there's a disconnect that's there. That's what drives kids away from the Lord. But that consistency, we usually bring them back even if they stray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. Totally inadequate for the for the task at hand. Unless we're in love with you and filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, your scripture, Jesus, you said, apart from, from me, you can do nothing. Lord, help us to just acknowledge that that's true. That we can do nothing of eternal value apart from you, dear Jesus. And help us to walk with you faithfully day by day. As we take this bread and this cup, Lord, help us to give you thanks. To honor you. Jesus, we praise your holy and precious name. Amen. Okay, folks, for, again, my apologies on the time. We got a little late started this morning as well. Um, what I'd like for us to do in this time is just, is because it's not long, but just to be very focused on Jesus and what he's done for us. And just, you know, if you need prayer requests or something like that after the service, you know, stay and we'll pray with you. We'll talk through whatever you need to talk through, whatever it is. But if we could just have people just express your love for Jesus we sing a couple songs that point us to him. But just people praying and expressing their love to Jesus or reading a scripture that expresses your love for Jesus, that'd be powerful this morning.